there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do, that we do, and we are also teenage dirtbags. Okay. Sure, sweetie. Well, yes. We're not so much teenage anymore, but not still dirtbags. So this week... <laughs> I am introducing Scott to a movie that was like a pretty big deal when we were actual teenage dirtbags, and for some reason, it, Scott missed the boat. We're watching The Perks of Being a Wallflower, released in 2012. It's, and we did the research on it. This is the fourth movie you've shown me from 2012. Apparently, yes. And th- they're all movies I showed you, right? Yes. From 2012. Interesting. It's obviously based on the novel that came out in 1999. It was a very big deal for the teenage dirtbags of the 2000s and on. Uh, I've read it a couple of times in my life. Scott, you never read it, right? Nope. Okay, well then I guess that works because then you didn't know what was going to happen in the movie. Nope. It's very much like a modern day John Hughes 80s film. Like It's very coming of age you know parents just don't understand that kind of thing but i would say it has some more adult themes that it focuses on just some yeah um (laughs) before we get into preliminary fun facts scotty what what are your general thoughts about watching the movie for the first time it's interesting uh it took a real heavy turn at the end It does, and it does that in the book as well, and in the movie, I remember watching it for the first time being like, hmm, that seemed to come out of fucking nowhere, but we'll we'll talk about it. It's a lot. It it definitely is a lot. The the whole thing, it's well done, and like, the thing about high school The thing about high school musical is, I, I agree, Scott, it is a classic, a masterpiece I agree. But continue. we're talking about this movie, Scott. you got to stop with your obsession with High School Musical. <laughs> yes, my obsession. So the thing about high school movies is I always feel like they tend to go overboard with a lot of the tropes sure. of being in high school. Yes. Like, yeah, do some of these things happen? Of course they do. But I feel like they take it and turn it to 11 to quote, this is Spinal Tap. I do agree with that. I think no matter what era they come out, I think movies of this genre have to like toe that line between like cartoonish depictions of high school life and more adults, like realistic versions. And I think as an adult watching them back, you know, there's a difference between watching something like maybe this or Breakfast Club and watching something like, I don't know, what's another high schoolish movie we watched? Like, She's All That or something. I mean, obviously, She's All That. I don't know why that's the first one that came to my head. But She's All That is like a more cartoony, like, zhuzhed up Hollywood version of high school life, right? Yeah. I feel like, I feel like when I watched this movie again, and I hadn't seen it probably since I was a teenager, I got nostalgic, but... It's a hangout movie, I feel like Perks is. And you're just kind of hanging out with this group. And, like, you're watching Ezra Miller make jokes before he became the Ezra Miller we all know and not love today. Uh, and that's weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you watch Emma Watson try to do an American accent and have it slip a couple times. It's, you know, you just kind of, like, you kind of get in the vibe. Yeah. The Ezra Miller thing, because... How can we not touch on it? The man has become quite problematic. Yeah, it is kind of weird watching him in this movie because our three main characters, they're all relatively young. I do appreciate that they're not like 30-year-olds playing fucking high school kids. Like, they're all 20, like 1920 at this time when it's being filmed. So I appreciate that. But watching Ezra Miller in particular in this role is really weird because he's really good (laughs) in it. He's really good in the movie and really funny. And even in the more serious moments when he's acting, he does a really good job. But then you're like, oh, God. And then you realize like, oh, Zack Snyder saw this film and it convinced him to hire Ezra Miller as the Flash. And you're like, oh, my God. (laughs) 
<laughs> if this had never happened, who knows what would have become of The Flash. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting blast from the past. It is. I think it's a good movie. I also think it's a little wonky at times, but it's it's good. That's fair, I think. Moving on to preliminary fun facts, you guys. This film was written, directed, and executive produced by Stephen Chbosky, who also wrote the original novel. Um, he also wrote the screenplay for the Rent movie. He co-wrote the live-action Beauty and the Beast with Emma Watson, ironically enough. And he also co-wrote and directed that movie Wonder, you know, with the little kid with the deformed oh, yeah, face yeah, yeah, and the, yeah, yeah. he wears the little astronaut helmet. So he, he seems to be very much about, like, uh, you know, the heartwarming things. He also is not unfamiliar with musical situations, which a big part of the original book was the music choices and there are very good music choices soundtrack choices in this movie which i appreciate indeed but it was a big deal when it first came out it was nominated for a wga for best adapted screenplay but at the time lost to argo but also silver linings playbook was also nominated ah. in that category which we talked about so that again big year for cinema i guess also, Les Mis came out that year, Scott. You remember remember our talk about Les Mis? I don't want that to. That was in the dark ages of Shoot the Flick. We might have to do a redo on that one. That, that would be fun to make you watch Les Mis again. Oh, cool. We get to watch the paper people again? What paper people? They're all paper. They're all on paper. They're flat. Oh, they, they're flat. Okay. Okay. Sure. Sure, Scott. Cardboard. Yeah, okay. Whatever you say, Scott. Just insult a bunch of fucking musical theater kids. By calling the characters of Les Miserables flat. In the movie? Yes. I d okay. Anyway, <laughs> fun fact. Originally, since I mentioned John Hughes before, he did actually buy the rights originally to the film version of Perks of Being a Wallflower. But he, he wanted to make it a dark comedy, which, I mean... There are dark things in this movie and there are comedic things. However, I would not classify this version that we got as a dark comedy. I, I really wouldn't classify it as a comedy. I at wouldn't all. either, even though there are funny things that happen in it. But unfortunately, John Hughes did not complete the script before his death. However, he did have uh, casting choices. He was going to cast Patrick Fugit as Patrick, who's the kid from Almost Famous. Okay. He was going to cast Kristen Dunst as Sam. And Shia LaBeouf as Charlie. Interesting. Which I think would have been very interesting to see. Yeah, it would have been interesting. Um, Where's Molly Ringwald? Is she in there? Is I, she the well, aunt? I think this was, you know, closer to like in like the 2000s well, when yes. he but is, is passed she, away. So. Is she the aunt in this situation? Is she? Uh... Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Ew, let's not talk about the ant. Yeah, we gotta we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So yeah, I definitely looked back on this film with much happy feelings and nostalgia. However, I I don't think it's a perfect movie. So we're we're gonna talk about it and chop it up. I, I think it's definitely different watching this outside of the teenaged atmosphere, which is interesting because at one point in this movie, the English teacher who's played by Paul Rudd, who that was a fun performance from him. Fun little hello from Paul Rudd. Uh, he gives Charlie a copy of Catcher in the Rye. And he's like, oh, I loved this book when I was your age. You know, you should read this. And I remember as a kid, because I was a big, I, I loved English class. That was probably my favorite subject. And I remember liking Catcher in the Rye as a kid. And then I did read it again as an adult. And I was like, wow, this kid's a fucking asshole. He is. <laughs> so... And not that I think Charlie is an asshole, far from it, in, when I rewatched this movie, but it's just interesting how your perspective changes from a teenager to an adult. Oh, yeah. that well, We say that all the time. We watch some of these movies that we haven't seen in years that we're like, oh, we really liked them when we were younger, and then we watch them again, we're like, oh, these aren't good. So, um, Scotty, are you ready to get into the nitty-gritty of this thing? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So... We start off in the good old year of 1991, before either of us were actually born. Well, I was about to be. So we meet our main character, Charlie, who's played by Logan Lerman, who actually won a Teen Choice Award for this film. 
But at the time that this was being made, he was doing the Percy Jackson films. Yeah, I kept, um, try, I kept looking at Frankie like, I know his yeah, face. Yeah, like, I know this kid. He He's definitely still around. We saw him in a movie couple years ago called bullet train that was a pretty good movie he looked virtually unrecognizable in that role <laughs> well, this is 10 years later so he's now right. not a, t- a teen or 20 anymore right exactly so w- we meet charlie and he's going into his freshman year of high school we meet a few people in his life and in the school we meet the english teacher who's played by paul rudd as uh we mentioned uh this was three years before he played ant-man we also meet Charlie's sister and her boyfriend. So we have the sister, Candace, who's played by Nina Dobrev. This was shot right in the middle of Vampire Diaries. Yes. We kept making jokes about vampires. Just like... Yeah, every time she was on screen, which wasn't much. I feel like in the book, she was in it a little bit more. I might be wrong about that because I didn't reread it before seeing this because i've already read it a couple times and i know the movie doesn't stray too much from the book but yeah she she was just fine but really the most important character in this little duo is ponytail Derek, the boyfriend who's played by nicholas braun also known as greg from succession and he has the most ugly ponytail you ever did see but he makes candace a little mixtape which Candace finds very lame. So she gives it to Charlie. And on that mixtape is um, the Smith song, Asleep, which completely takes over Charlie's life. He loves the song and he, you know, plays it a lot and ends up, you know, it comes up a bit in the movie. We do get it played pretty much in its entirety. Sing to me to sleep. Sing to me to sleep. I don't want to wake up on my Yes, mixtapes are very important in this movie. Uh, um, being a guy who used to be a LimeWire guy at the... Uh, <laughs> yes, you've made me many a, a mix. But it's just funny because, yeah, when people used to make mixtapes, they do, like, these little messages that they could record beforehand. And, like, so as Charlie's listening to Ponytail Derek's mixtape for his sister, <laughs> he he gets an introduction to it, like, every... Ah, oh, just... I think of your eyes every time I hear this song, and then the song play, I'm like, "Oh God, that would drive me insane." Even if I loved the song, that would drive me nuts. But we do um, learn pretty quickly about Charlie that he is a very shy kid. He has suffered from clinical depression. He has been hospitalized at some point. You know, we don't know all the details. We later find out that his best friend from middle school ended up committing suicide. Um, the year before so he's he's been through some shit this kid and of course you know when we get to school and we get this uh introduction of the song asleep from the smiths we get a montage of just straight up bullying in school for really no reason at all yeah it kind of just starts and it's like what the fuck are these people's problem yes there are always going to be bullies Right. In any walk of life, there's some fucking asshole out there. But, like, it just feels, like, excessive. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to downplay if people have been bullied in school because I know a lot of people have dealt with that to different degrees. I know I have. This isn't, like, a new thing in high school movies where, like, they play up the bullying and it's just, like, the severity of it and the randomness of it. Like, there's one point where he's just walking in the hallway, not bothering anybody not looking at anybody not doing anything and some fucking big jock looking guy just walks by him is like and rips his book in half and throws it on the floor and it's like what the fuck <laughs> like nobody does that or, or, or the or the other one which i laughed about was this girl who constantly insults him in his english class yeah just like Rand- for no reason and no one no teacher says anything well not even that but like He's walking in the hallway at one point, and she goes, oh, you already wrote the term paper? And then three guys grab him and walk him into the bathroom as she stands guard. I'm like, what the fuck? And, like, I'm not saying that that's never happened in any scenario, but it just seems like with high school movies in general, they have, like, the most severe random bullying. Like, it's just... But then again, movie magic. We have to make it extra terrible. Just so you understand. Just so you understand how hard it is to be a kid. But um, later on, Charlie is at the homecoming football game. 
And before that, we see him in shop class and he is sort of enamored and made to be entertained by the little class clown named Patrick, who is a senior, and he's played by Ezra Miller. Now, he became The Flash for the first time four years after this movie. And like I said, um, you know, his performance in this film kind of like was the deciding factor for Snyder to be like, ah, yes, this is our Flash. And I can understand that because his performance in this is really good. And he's very uh, sarcastic and funny. Like when he does his sarcastic, like little class clown things, it's really genuinely funny. It is. He does have like the manic nature because the Flash. Yes. The whole thing about the Flash is he's supposed to be, even in normal life, kind of feels like he's going a mile a minute. Just personality wise. But even in, like, the more emotional moments in the movie for him, because he does have one particular moment that's uh, a great deal more dramatic, and he does a really good job with that as well. So it's a shame, because he he genuinely seems to be, like, a good actor, but he just, you know, when you get to the the top of the mountain, sometimes, you know... You break into people's houses and start choking them. Yeah, you know, as you do... (laughs) But yeah, we meet Patrick. Charlie, you know, kind of takes the chance and introduces himself to him and they chat and become friendly. And then, of course, we meet Patrick's stepsister, Sam, who's played by Emma Watson. Before we introduce Emma Watson, they meet in shop class, Patrick and uh, Charlie. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about shop class for a a second more. (laughs) Because uh, the shop class teacher is none other than the horror legend, Tom Mm -hmm. Zavini. Yes, I was like... Who do you think that is? I tried to like point him out to you and he's like, I don't know. I feel like I know who that is. You do. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> well, I do love that Frankie went. It's No, <laughs> don't include my fuck up. <laughs> like all the Ted Savini for some reason. I don't know why I called him Ted Savini. But yes, we meet Sam. And she also won a Teen Choice Award for this film. Ah, I see. Because the teens were all about perks. Indeed. They were all about past Harry Potter people and future Harry Potter people. Yes, it is strange that both Emma and Ezra are both in the Harry Potter universe, even though Ezra wasn't in it yet at this time. But Not yet. He was getting there. She was just finishing it. The Harry Potter series just finished the year before this. This was like her first movie outside of Harry Potter, which was like a big deal at the time. She also was obviously Belle in the live action Beauty and the Beast five years after this. Yes. Uh, and now she's, I think she's kind of like semi-retired, if not completely retired. Yeah, I know she went to co- taking a break, you know. I know she went to college at Brown for a bit, and then it was like, okay, cool. And then she kind of just, I think she'll take like one every now and then. But mm-hmm. like, like, like she did, what was that, Little Women she was in? Yeah, she did Little Women. I think it, it was supposed to be Emma Stone, and then for whatever reason she had to bow out. So then they got Emma Watson in there instead. But yeah, Chabosky apparently said that he was convinced to hire Emma Watson after he saw her crying scene in the Half Blood Prince. Remember after Ron kisses that random girl, ah uh, yes, and then yes, she yes, runs yes. off and sad and yes, crying. Yes. So yeah, he was like, ah, she's she's a good one. She's got the emotion. She can do it. But she she did good in this. I feel like she wanted to prove herself that she could act outside of Harry Potter, which she did. I think prove that. And uh, unfortunately. The, the accent did slip a couple times, but that's okay, Emma. We forgive you. I feel like whenever somebody's not doing their natural accent, it's it's always a little more difficult. Sure. Of course. Yeah. But yes, I wrote down specifically because I enjoyed this reference. They're in a diner and they're talking, the three of them, and they're kind of forming their bond. And Ezra Miller refers to himself and Sam as Slut and the Falcon <laughs> because Sam has this previous kind of reputation for being a little loose she likes to drink and party and kind of you know she's got a bad picker as uh, my mother would say she's got a bad picker when it comes to boys yeah and she does because throughout most of the movie she's got this boyfriend i think who's in college craig who's like an asshole and ends up cheating on her and all that shit so yeah but they become friends and you know, when you're watching the movie, you're like, oh, Charlie made friends. It's nice. He did. Yes, he made friends. 
and you know they bond over music and they hang out and they you know they like rocky horror picture show which is fun they (laughs) they drive through the midtown tunnel and perform illegal actions well i mean you know what is illegal (laughs) standing in the back of a pickup truck in the midtown tunnel all right well you know whatever (laughs) but what's interesting too is that there's another big song of the movie ends up being heroes by david bowie and they're driving through the tunnel it's a big thing the tunnel scenes emma watson is in the back of the pickup truck just kind of like you know feeling the wind and it's very it's a nice moment And uh, remember, this is 1991, so we don't really... Oh, what's this cool song? I've never heard it before. And it's Heroes, and it's like a really cool moment. In the book, Jaboski wrote that song. You know, the big song of the movie was Landslide from Fleetwood Mac. Ah. But he changed it for this movie to be Heroes, I think just for like the sheer emotional impact. It is a more uplifting song. Yeah, I'd say uplifting is a good word for it. Now, when Charlie gets home after, you know, hanging out with his new friends, he manages to witness a fight going on between his sister and Ponytail Derek. And he sees Ponytail Derek slap Candace across the face. Yep. And she very quickly forgives him and makes up with him and tells Charlie, don't tell anybody. And um, one thing I don't like about this movie is they kind of just have that happen. And then they kind of let it go it's until the very very end yeah when she's when we hear from voiceover that they broke up and it's like oh okay i guess it's fine (laughs) well charlie kind of plays the role of empath i guess would be the best way to put it sure because he's like he gets all emotional for other people but never really like takes himself into account well yeah and we kind of find out later that there's a reason for that but yeah, that's definitely true. At one point, I think Sam even says like, you can't just put everyone else before yourself and call that love. It's more than that. And it's true. But um, in the book, there's actually more to the Candace ponytail Derek thing. So in the novel, the truth does come out. I thought it came out in the in the movie. I thought that they had charlie tell paul rudd that his sister is being abused and then it all comes out but it didn't happen in the movie i must have misremembered that but in the book candace finds out she's pregnant and she goes to charlie and charlie for real keeps the secret this time takes her to the abortion clinic and drives her home so there's kind of a resolution there and then they're definitely not together obviously after that but um yeah so i I think they shot it but then just cut it from the movie because it's a deleted scene from what I understand but I kind of wish that they had included that a little bit more of that stuff in there Mm -hmm. just because it seemed like there wasn't really a resolution to the Candace ponytail Derek thing until the like this like I said the very very end where just like a quick voiceover like yeah Candace broke up with Derek and it's fine (laughs) it's like oh okay I almost forgot about that because like, we hadn't talked about it the whole fucking movie. Well, I was just thinking it's just like in Fast Times at Ridgemont High where that kind of happens. Yeah, the, the abortion scene kind of happens and then it's it, that's it. Okay, moving on. It's like, okay. <laughs> but this one, I mean, at least they included it in fucking Fast Times and that was like what, in the 80s? Yeah, or whatever? 81. So, yeah, instead, Charlie just kind of chats with Paul Rudd and asks him why people date people that are bad for them essentially and paul rudd gives us like a a solid line in the movie and i think in the book as well and it's just like we accept the love we think we deserve and that's also true and it's a it's a good line but like we could have given a little more credence to the you know abusive relationship storyline well i think they're even trying to connect like with that line it's it's not just his sister it's also sam it's also sam yeah so it's just kind of like no it's true it's a two-for-one special of advice for right. charlie well because charlie of course has a big old crush on sam indeed because she is 
pretty and she is Emma Watson and she is cool. Yes, she is pretty. She is cool. She is making milkshakes at party when Charlie is high. Oh, yeah. But the homecoming dance, too. They have like the dance sequence to uh, come on, Eileen. Yes. And you have Charlie kind of like literally a wallflower, like not wanting to dance. And then he like slowly inches out on the dance floor. But the, the dance like the uh, Pat and Sam do is really cute. It is. It's it- just really a lot of cute bonding stuff there are some weird moments when like when charlie's walking out to the dance floor and the camera's like in his face mm-hmm. it's like a weird motion but it's well i guess <laughs> he's like kind of inching out there like to the beat of come on he's like he's like slowly like bouncing out there it's really cute i will complain one thing about that scene oh god how do you cut the and then you cut to the next scene? I'm like, how do you cut before the come on? Like it's a point, man. At least have the the fun of the song. Yeah. But also at this after party where Charlie gets accidentally high and Sam makes him a milkshake, um, Charlie ha- happens to walk in on Patrick making out with the quarterback of yes. the football team who is a closeted gay dude. And they have been in a relationship for a while, we find out later, and like Patrick's been really helpful to him and has like kept his secret and because his uh the quarterback's dad is very you know conservative and all this stuff and it's a very run-of-the-mill gay high school storyline where like you know you have like the typical male like macho dude who's actually secretly gay and then you have the very Openly. um openly gay character who's you know what i mean and it's 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 not um, breaking new ground in any way in that no. respect, but I think Ezra Miller still plays it really well because, you know, you can tell he really cares about this guy. And then when, of, of course, it all eventually does blow up, it you know, you can feel his heartbreak and he plays that really well as also. Oh, yeah. And it's damn it. Ezra Miller does a good job. I hate to say it. Well, it's even funnier because he tells charlie hey you can't tell anybody i'm like this is the wrong time to be making charlie <laughs> promise things. but he doesn't tell anybody he doesn't but he's high as a kite right now <laughs> but patrick and sam sort of officially welcome charlie into their friend group and patrick officially dubs him as a wallflower which is like you know ah it's a movie <laughs> <laughs> perks we get a lot of bonding stuff moving forward. That's why I feel like this is very much like a hangout movie. We just get like little vignettes of these friends just being friends yeah. and it's very sweet. And this is kind of, yeah, you get like the feels of like how you were in high school with your high school friends yeah. and it's nice. It, it doesn't feel like there's anything too plot heavy, I guess. Sure. But we also meet officially like one of the other main friends of this group, Mary Elizabeth who's played by Mae Whitman, who we've talked about before. Two years before this movie, she was in Scott Pilgrim. She was. And then um, she also voiced Katara in Avatar The Last Airbender. She does. So she's cool, man. She does not shut up. No. She's very much... They describe her in the movie as a Buddhist, but also a punk. So it's like, it's just giving that vibe. <laughs> well, yeah, she it's the vibe of... It's giving that vibe of teenage girl trying to figure out who the fuck she is. Of course. Kind of, they all do in a certain way, but you know what I mean. It's just funny how, like, categorized she is as a person in this movie. Especially when she fully connects with Charlie. Yeah, but Sam also really connects with Charlie. Um, she wants very badly to get into Penn State, so Charlie offers to tutor her with her SATs. He helps her with that, and they bond more. And then Christmas time comes around, and they do like Secret Santa among the friend group. But Charlie also, on top of that, gets everybody presents just because he's Charlie and he's a sweetheart. And Sam takes Charlie into her bedroom. And they talk and they have like a really sweet, like heartfelt conversation, very teary eyed conversation 
where you know Sam talks about her reputation and how she used to drink a lot and you know unfortunately get taken advantage of by men and she feels like she's finally at a place where she's getting above that and she's feeling more mm-hmm. like herself and, and it's uh, really a, a good speech for her and her first kiss was her father's boss ew gross i hate men icky sorry scott i don't mean you <laughs> <laughs> but um in this conversation charlie mentions his aunt helen who is according to him his favorite person outside of sam and throughout the whole movie um, we get flashbacks that Charlie has of his Aunt Helen. And at first, uh, if you know anything about the story, they are very wholesome, nice family memories. Uh, you know, he talks about how his Aunt Helen used to get taken advantage of and screwed around by guys. And, you know, she's a great person. Da 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 da. And then Charlie mentions he's never had his first kiss. And Sam is like, I, I know I'm with Craig, who's her shitty boyfriend but I want you to have your first kiss with someone who truly loves you. And they have, they kiss. It's very sweet. And Mm -hmm. they exchange, I love yous. But then, you know, of course she's still with her shitty ass fucking college boyfriend. Well, yeah, because, well, I have a feeling if Charlie would step to the plate and be like, Hey, would you rather go out with me? She might say yes. He's not ready for that. I think. (laughs) Well, in his heart of hearts, he also knows he's a freshman. They're all seniors. Well, yeah. Like, even if she did say yes, if she gets into Penn State, she's going to Penn State, and he's stuck on the island. Yep. Um. So, after a little bit, we cut to a New Year's Eve party that they're all having. Charlie ends up tripping balls on LSD, <laughs> and he has some more flashbacks of his Aunt Helen, and we figure out that she died in a car crash on her way to buy Charlie his seventh birthday gift so that's given charlie a bit of a complex a little fucked yeah, up I, I, trauma a little guilt that's the thing. unnecessarily like, this whole aunt helen stuff like at first you're like okay he blames himself for her death right which makes sense uh-huh. okay i get where this is going does the left turn happen yes it does it does and it doesn't happen till the end so it's it's it does feel like it came out of nowhere But again, we got some more stuff to talk about before we get there. This is around the time where Mary Elizabeth ends up asking Charlie out and they start this weird relationship that is very one-sided because Charlie is Charlie and he doesn't know how to break up with this girl. (laughs) Well, it's not not only that, but like... Charlie ends up taking the place of a guy who doesn't show up for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's Sam's boyfriend, the college boyfriend. Oh, that was it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So she takes uh, Sam's boyfriend's place to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and that's where Mae Whitman like, sees him in just like underwear. Oh, yeah, because he's playing Rocky. And <laughs> in little golden, <laughs> little golden undies. And then Mae Whitman goes, hmm, interesting. All right, let's go out, Charlie. But it's clear that she knows... I think she knows that he and Sam kind of have a thing because it's found out later that Sam and Mary Elizabeth have like a history of guys coming between them. So like there's that going on there. But yeah, Mary Elizabeth and Charlie are in this relationship and he doesn't really know how to get out of it because he doesn't want to hurt her feelings, but they're obviously not compatible. But then... (laughs) You know, Scott at one point was like, oh, God, this is so bad. And I'm like, oh, just wait, because they go to this party. And of course, they're playing truth or dare because they're teenagers in a movie. So that's what they do. And Patrick says to Charlie, I dare you to kiss the most beautiful woman in the room. And Charlie, (laughs) bad Charlie, he kisses Emma Watson and it's bad. It's so bad. No, no, no. Bad Charlie. (laughs) Sorry, Charlie. That's a no-no. No, yeah, that's bad. And Charlie gets kicked out of the friend group. Yeah, and Charlie starts getting really depressed again. And it's 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 a bad way. But in the couple of weeks that Charlie has been excommunicated from the friend group, we find out that the quarterback guy's dad caught him and Patrick together. And it fucking blew up and... It's just a whole shit show. Yeah, and then 
it leads to the cafeteria scene. Which I think was, again, fucking annoyingly, a good performance from Ezra Miller. <laughs> it is. It is a good performance from Ezra Miller. But it, it's a good scene. It's it's definitely... It's, again, it's nothing you haven't seen before. Sure. Because, of course, Ezra is walking by the quarterback. One the, of his friends of his trips fr- him. Trips him. Ezra gets up and goes, are you going to say something? And the quarterback gets up and calls him the F word. Mm. Something that rhymes with maggot. Exactly. Ezra just punches this kid in the face. QB punches him back in the face. They start fighting. And then all his football friends grab him and start beating up for poor Patrick. And, and then Emma Watson tries to jump in and they throw her off to the side. It's just a shit show. And, and then, then we see Charlie's fist fly in and the screen goes black. Yeah, baby. It's like just fucking John Wick shit. <laughs> They're all fucked up. And then <laughs> you just, yeah. Oh, it's so good. And then he's like, if you hurt my friend again, I'll fucking blind you. <laughs> oh, God. It's so good. Yeah. Cause we realize that Charlie, I guess, has throughout this movie, he has like one or two where he just kind of like blacks out and doesn't remember anything. And then what I found kind of sad uh, afterwards is like Charlie's in the office and you see the QB guy come out and he whispers over to Charlie like, thanks for stopping them. And I just, you just feel bad. And then he makes up with Sam and Patrick and Patrick kind of takes him on a joy ride later, just the two of them. And like they talk about what happened. And at one point Patrick leans over and kisses Charlie and it's like, oh, okay. And then immediately bursts into tears and apologizes. And you're like, oh, honey. Oh, sweetie. Yeah. Apparently everyone's got the hots of Charlie. I mean, he's a sweetheart. He's a sweetheart. But like, I don't know, man. It's just like everybody. Fucking Patrick, Sam. Yeah, but I think for Patrick, for Patrick, it was more like, you know, I just want to meet a good guy. You're a good guy, Charlie. I love you, man. It's like he attracts crazy. That's generally what crazy people do. <laughs> Hence us, dear. What are you trying to say is crazy? But I think like it's just it's like textbook people that have been through trauma. They always want to fix everybody else because they can't necessarily or don't want to necessarily fix themselves. So when we get to the end of the school year, you know, towards like prom time and graduation, it gets really hard for Charlie because all his friends are fucking seniors and they're all leaving him. So it gets a little rough for Charlie. We got, you know, graduation and Sam has Charlie come into her bedroom again and they're crying and she's like, why didn't you ever ask me out? And he's like, I didn't think you wanted that. I'm sorry. (laughs) And he's like, she's like, but I did. And he's like, oh, I did too. You're beautiful. I love you. And they make out. It's very sweet. And what I find interesting though is like the first time she kisses him because she's like oh Charlie I want you to have your first kiss be so special and then the second time he fucking is a brave boy and he kisses her he's like I fucking know you girl I love you bitch I ain't ever gonna stop loving you bitch and then he kisses her and it's very cool well it's even good Charlie well at one point though I think it's in one of the bedroom scenes I'm not sure which one it might be this one where he goes to her like, I know you. I've been through the same stuff you have. Because we're about to get this left turn. Yeah. It didn't even register in my head when he says that. Calls back to the Sam line of like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, my father's boss basically made out with me Ew. when I was 11. Ew. And I'm like, okay. So you like you sit there and you're like, you're not connecting lines until you get the left turn coming. Right. Well, okay. So they're making out Sam and Charlie, right? And she kind of grabs his thigh and he has a moment where he's like, (gasps) he kind of like bugs out a little bit for a second and then he is okay. But you definitely clock that moment. And then the next day, you know, Sam and Patrick go off to college and he's sad and things just kind of start crumbling down for him and he gets all these flashbacks and they're all coming they're coming in hot and um you realize that aunt helen was actually who's dead now as we mentioned but yes got t-boned by a the truck good for her when charlie was a child she was very um 
abusive towards him in a sexual manner. And I remember when I read this in the book, I was like, whoa, that came out of fucking nowhere. And in the movie, it also comes out of fucking nowhere. To be fair, I don't think there's a way that one can like gently introduce the idea of sexual abuse into a story. So, you know, yeah. do with that what you will. It just, it felt so... Jarring. Yeah, yeah. like, it, it was almost like you turned and you got smacked by a baseball bat. <laughs> yeah, but I think that that's the only way you can really do something like that. Especially in this situation where this kid who has been struggling, as we've seen throughout the whole movie and before that, you know, like, he's always just been struggling and... You think you know why, but there's more to it. And, you know, he calls his sister and she can tell that something's wrong. So she has her friend call the police to go to her house. And he's like, I killed Aunt Helen. I killed her. I killed her. And he's freaking out. And you see Charlie look over at some kitchen knives. And you're like, oh, fuck. And then next thing you see is the police kick down the door and Charlie wakes up in a mental hospital. I don't know. It's it's hard. Like, yeah, it's it's hard to do this in a way that's not jarring. But I think that it has to be jarring because it's jarring for Charlie as well. And so it's 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 a hard pill to swallow. But I feel like, yeah, it is what it is. It's just the whole way through this movie. We were like. Oh, Aunt Helen's my favorite person. You, we get the image of her being like, "Oh, I'm getting you. I gotta go get you your birthday gift." Oh, da 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 da. We see her get hit by this. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, we're we're like kind of led in one direction, to then go the complete opposite direction. Again, it's so jarring that you're like, "Whoa." Yeah, and I think it's also like a statement about if you don't deal with your shit, you could pass it on to others down the line you know because we establish in this movie that aunt helen was also kind of abused by men and taken advantage of and so on and so forth yeah and clearly she never dealt with that trauma because she then carried it over to charlie and not to say that every person that goes through things of that nature will become abusers right but you know, you have to think of what what is the higher purpose of including something so heavy and so out of left field in this story. So it's like, I think ultimately, this whole movie is like, yeah, it's nostalgic and it gives you kind of like the happy feelings about like being in high school and finding yourself and finding your friends and, you know, having people and th that's a good thing. But I think also it's like everybody's got their shit and you shouldn't ignore it and you should face it and confront it in order to move on from it because ultimately that's what happens we get charlie i do wish though that like it wasn't saved for like literally the last what 10 minutes of the movie yeah, something like that yeah <laughs> because literally like within the last 10 maybe 15 minutes of the movie it's Charlie in the hospital. Joan Cusack is his doctor. Hey, Joan. And she's there and she's like helping him deal with his shit. And then he's in the hospital for a while. We get a little montage of him in the hospital. His duration over it is like, oh, my family came to visit. I got letters from Sam and Patrick and oh, life is I'm doing better. Okay. And then he gets out of the hospital. You know, we have an awkward family dinner at first, which I kind of liked that scene where like the two parents, Candace and Charlie are all sitting down to dinner. And it's obviously right after Charlie gets discharged from the hospital. And there's sort of that like little awkwardness. And then Charlie just breaks the, the ice, as it were. And it's like, how do you think those penguins are going to do this here, dad? And they just start talking and they're laughing. And it's like, okay. We're going to find like a new normal here and everything's going to be okay. And then, of course, to end the movie, to round everything out, we get Patrick and Sam coming to visit Charlie. They take him out in the car and they're like, Charlie, we figured out what that song was from the, from the tunnel. Remember that random song we've never heard before? Yes. It's David Bowie, goddammit. 
Who were the guests? Scott thought it was the fucking police, and I was going <laughs> to smack him in the face. I flipped my replacement songs. It's sure, fine. sure, sure. Um, the Replacements, also a movie we did on Shoot the Flick, I think back in the Dark Ages, but hey, it's yeah, okay. It was- it's fine. Don't worry about it. Maybe we'll do a redo of that. We'll do a double feature of Les Mis and The Replacements, because that makes sense. What a double feature. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, they, they go out into the tunnel, and it's it's definitely a good ending of the movie. We get Charlie in the back of the truck, arms out, feeling the breeze, living life, listening to David Bowie. He, ma- he gives Sam a little kissy kiss. Very nice. They're all hooping and hollering, and... Um, Charlie ends the the movie with uh, an iconic line from the book. And in this moment, I swear, we are infinite. And they drive off, and it's great. It's it's a nice, wholesome ending to this movie. And then a sign comes out of nowhere. It's Max. <laughs> and they all get decapitated like hereditary. No, but um. That's Perks of Being a Wallflower. It was definitely a staple in my adolescence. I enjoyed watching it again. Like I said, is it a perfect movie? No. But it's definitely worth a watch, I would say. Yeah, it's worth a watch. It's it's, it's a rough movie at times, but it's, it is a hangout movie. It does feel like a general, like you're dropped into these people's lives and you spend a year with them. Sometimes it feels like it's moving so fast through the year that you're like, okay, cool. Do I get to really know all these people? No, but, you know. They definitely, I mean, Charlie, I feel like because he's our narrator and because he's our main guy, like, we get, obviously, the most insight into him as a character. But I would say definitely that Patrick and Sam being our secondary leads, they definitely do get moments where they're like more emotional and and we try to get some insight but i feel like for the most part they're kind of caricatures and like stereotypes of the typical high school film character where it's like yes we've got some humor but we've also got some dark deep shit it's kin to like a breakfast club type situation yeah it It makes sense that john hughes wanted to do this movie well yeah again is there anything new in this no, not really. No, I, I would say no. I, I would say that other movies in like the high school coming of age, teen drama, definitely, this fits right in there. Yes, it does. And that's the thing about this movie. There may be nothing new, but it's still done well. Yes, I would agree. So It's got a killer fucking soundtrack. It does have a killer soundtrack. So that's just, it, again, it could fit in there. You could watch this with all the other high school dramas that have been around for eons and eons of time. Yeah, I would definitely say that this is like a highlight. Like if you had a, a playlist of movies that's like the in that genre of like teen coming of age type situation, this would be in there. This would definitely be in like the pantheon. Um, I also think just as like a cinema nerd, I think it's, interesting to kind of look back at this movie and look now at 2024 you know and like over 10 years later and just see where certain people certain actors ended up (laughs) namely emma watson and ezra miller emma watson used to be the one of the biggest young actresses ever because of harry potter and this was like her first kind of kick through the door as like a serious actress. And I think for, you know, the first thing out of Harry Potter, I think it's a great... Yeah. She, she did a great job. She does fine. I think Ezra Miller kind of secretly stole a lot of the movie. He did. Uh, which is kind of indicative of why he got cast as The Flash and then, you know, everything that happened after that. That's really interesting. It's like it's like one of those like cookie cutter stories about the fucking falling star. You know, yeah. he was like so he was so promised at that time. Yeah. he, he f- And he got everything. He got the Harry Potter franchise. He got. Yeah. The, the Justice League and shit. And then he just fucked it all. He burned out. But um, Scott, what did you what did you rate the perks of being a wallflower? I gave it a three and a half. I also have it as a three and a half. I definitely think that there was a time in my adolescence where I had given it a four. 
you know I, I like lauded it as like one of my favorite movies but I think looking back at it from a more adult perspective and like being more objective about it I think like I said there are definitely issues with the movie um but I think also that like it does a great job at kind of capturing that nostalgic feel and while the more serious stuff like it's hit or miss I think but I I think overall it's a really well done adaptation of the book which makes sense because the guy that fucking wrote the book made the movie so exactly overall I I had fun rewatching this it was a nice blast from the past for sure it definitely did its job well and I think if you like these types of movies it's definitely in your wheelhouse to go watch Alrighty, so we are done with our first three episodes of Shoot the Flick, season five. Now we are going to be taking a break for a week, but then don't you worry, kids, because we'll be back with our special Valentine's Day episode. Ah, no. Scott's not happy about it. No, I am not. It's, he's really not, because I'm, I'm not. this this is a movie that we've both seen before. I very much like it. Scott very much hates it, yep. which is, I think we've mentioned your disdain for this movie before on our show, but it's happening, guys. It's finally happening. Scott's going to watch this movie. I'm going to watch it. I'm excited. Um, mostly because, I mean, you guys, you guys know, we all love to listen to Scott freak out. So until grand old valentine's day this has been shoot the flick i'm frankie sparks and i'm scott eisenberg make sure you check us out on instagram and twitter at shoot the flick and check out all of our episodes on itunes spotify google podcast and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast and make sure you come back on valentine's day for our lovey dovey movie adventure We can be heroes just for one day.